Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul takes great pains to explain that we are not saved by keeping the law or doing good works. He explains that even Abraham, in the Old Testament, was saved by trusting in the coming Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you trusting in Jesus alone today for your salvation? Or are you trusting in yourself and your own good life? Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 3 and look at the reason and purpose that the law was given to us. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus. Spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to know his love for you. Just just bringing more and more and more of your life into union with Jesus. Um, The more Jesus that's in our lives, the more Jesus we invite into our lives, the more we seek Jesus. Right. Matthew 633 says, seek first the kingdom of God and and his righteousness and, and everything else will handle itself. And, and you do that by, by growing to walk with Jesus, growing to obey him. And in these ways, you grow to know him more intimately and your desire for him becomes greater. And the goal of this life, right, uh, Romans eight twenty nine, is to be conformed, to become like Jesus more and more in every aspect of our lives. And it's the the greatest privilege of our lives. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Lord willing, we'll do Galatians 3 today, verses 15 to 29, finishing chapter 3. Just uh, just deep stuff here in this book of Galatians. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible, Father. We thank you that we've that you've given us your word, Father. We thank you that you've spoken to us and the living word of God, and we forever have our our Bible, Father. We just thank you for our Bible. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, for dying a torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. We ask you to open our hearts to the living word of God now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, Galatians 3, 15 to 29. Paul speaking. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. 
Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, Alicia, some deep stuff here. I had, I had breakfast this morning with my brother Jason and my sister Elisa. Alicia, we, uh, you know, Jason and I meet, but then I go and sit at Alicia at her table at this diner. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I kind of go back and forth and it's just, I'm just so blessed. Uh, Alicia gave me a testimony today that a couple of weeks ago, she started praying for, for healing just for some pain from a past surgery. And, uh, and that the doctors had told her it would be a year. Um, and that, praying for two weeks, praying directly to Jesus. And she said, the pain is gone. So thank you, Lord Jesus. And thank you for that testimony, Alicia, my, uh, my big sister. In chapter one, we talked about how Paul gives his testimony. We want to continually and consistently keep on testifying to what Jesus has done in our lives and how he's done it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Revelation 12.11, Alicia says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, right, Ian? So it's always Jesus first. Any overcoming is always Christ first, right? If, you know, if Jesus doesn't make the first move, we can do nothing. Before we're saved, being saved, and then after our salvation, it's always Jesus first. They overcame by the blood of the lamb. But it also says the word of their testimony, okay? So the more we continue to testify to who Jesus is and what he's done and how he's done it, not only in our salvation, but in every aspect of our lives, the more it helps us to be overcomers in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm not talking about salvation now. That happens in Christ alone. You're not saved or forgiven from your sin by testifying to what Jesus has done. Uh, but as a Christian, as we grow to know Jesus more, again, the more we testify um, to ourselves and to others, to who Jesus is and all he's done and how he's continuing to do it in all the circumstances of our life, the more close we'll grow to Jesus, the more we'll become overcomers. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, deep stuff. You remember in... Uh, in Galatia, which is a province with many churches, um, you know, there were, you know, there were supposed men coming in that were proclaiming to be leaders and to have revelation. And, you know, and they were saying that, you know, you not only had to believe in Jesus, but you had to also come under the law of Moses. You had to be circumcised. You had to follow all the dietary laws. And, and Paul vehemently is clearly, and I mean, surgically teaching how that's not so. Now, obviously, he's being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, everything in our Bible is the Word of God, right? We're in Galatians chapter 3 here. So it's the living Word of God. So this is inspired by the Spirit of God. The Word is inspired. And Paul, you know, is just writing a letter, but he's being led by the Holy Spirit. So actually, although he's writing the letter, it's actually the Word of God to us. So so Paul is continuing in his argument, and he says in verse 15, Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant, so it is that has been duly established, so it is in this case. So when you have a human covenant, say like a will, you know, um, when someone passes away, I mean, that will is, is locked in, right? Um, that will has been established. Okay, no will is a human covenant of, you know, where your assets and money and possessions are going to go, you know, when the Lord takes you. Right. Um, so, again, Paul is continuing now to prove in his argument that we can add nothing to Christ, that we're not saved from our sin. We don't go to heaven based on anything we've done. Right. We can't 
add to the cross. It's by having trust and faith and complete, you know, uh, hope in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. So he says, let me take an example from everyday life in this life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. Again, when you duly establish a will, you know, you can't take away from that or add to that. He says, so it is in this case. How much more is it the case with God, right? If a, if, if, if a human covenant that happens in our everyday life can't be taken away or added to, how much more is it the case with the covenant God made? And he's going to talk about with Abraham here. Okay, you know, so now remember, Abraham, you're looking at somewhere around 2000 years before Christ. And Paul is proving here that salvation has always been by God's grace. Never in the Old Testament or the New Testament were you saved by your works. Because, again, a promise that God gave to Abraham that that they would be saved by faith and by belief and by trusting in the word of God and trusting in the, the Messiah that would come, right? That happened before God even gave the law to Moses. So he says in verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now this is deep. All right, Scott. Um, again, and this is the promise that all nations will be blessed through you. All nations will have salvation by believing and trusting in the word of God and in the savior to come. Abraham believed God for the deliverance of the life of his son. And then he also believed God that the promised savior would come through his son, right? And through the physical line of Abraham and his son, Isaac and Jacob, and all the way down comes Jesus, right? Um, and so verse 16, Paul says, the promises, again, and that's a promise of being made right with God, being saved from your sin, being delivered from hell and going to heaven. That promise, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now watch this. The scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Okay, so when that promise was made to Abraham, it was speaking about Christ, your seed that, again, through the physical genealogy of Abraham, through the, the physical line of Abraham, right, um, you can see the birth of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. Paul says in, in verse 17, what I mean is this, <clears throat> the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So look at how specific Paul is here. Okay. So again, in Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed the word of God, okay? He believed God and that, that Isaac would be born and that through Isaac, the Savior would be born. He believed that even though, you know, Sarah, you know, is like 90 years old. Obviously, she can't have a baby. He is well past rolling up near 100. So he ain't having no kids. But the Lord gave him a word and said, you know, that, this time next year, Sarah will conceive and you'll have a son. And he actually believed that, right? He actually took God at his word. Can you imagine you're rolling near 100, your wife is 90, and the Lord tells you, mama's going to get pregnant next year, right? You and I might very well doubt the word of God, right? Seems a little awkward, Okay, Lord, I mean, she's a good 40 years past childbearing age, but he believed that. And not only did he believe that he would have a son, he believed that from his son would come the seed, the Christ, the Savior. And by believing that, it was credited to him, accounted to him as righteous. 
He was made right with God by believing the promise that the Lord made him, that he would be, that he would have a son and that the Messiah would come. He was made right with God. In the same way, you and I are made right with God. We're saved from our sin. We're delivered from hell by believing the promise, the good news of the Savior, of the Messiah, that our God, Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, became a human man, lived a perfect, righteous life on our behalf, died a perfect, righteous death on our behalf, and was raised from the dead. And when we believe that and put our full trust and confidence in what Christ has done in our place and on our behalf at the cross, we too are made right with God by that belief, by that faith, by that trust, Esther, right? By trusting in what Christ has done, the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived is credited to us as if we lived it. Just like with Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, it says, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. When you believe and trust in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is credited to you and me and all of our sin, all of our disobedience is credited to him at the cross. It's incredible. I, wow. Golly, Peyton. Man, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Whoo, may, may. Hallelujah. Golly, that's good news, Stephen. I mean, I, it just, it just, boom. I mean, it just blows your mind when you, you know, when you, when you just break it down. That's why we have this Bible, Corinne. Golly. And so this promise is made to Abraham. He believes it. He's made right with God. Now, Paul says in verse 17, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later. So 430 years after this, the Lord gives the law to Moses, right? Now that's 430 years after this promise of being made right with God by God's grace through faith, by believing the promise, right? What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later, you got you to gotta like Paul's specificity here. That's the word of God. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise, okay? So again, Paul is teaching here that these people that are coming in and saying, you have to obey the law, you have to follow the law, you have to follow you know, all the laws in the Old Testament, you have to follow the dietary laws, all the men have to be circumcised. And only by doing all these things and believing in Jesus can you be saved. And what they're doing is they're adding to the cross, they're adding to the work of Christ. They're making salvation about themselves instead of just trusting and believing in what Christ has done, knowing that we are hopeless, helpless, and desperate, and there's nothing I can add to what Jesus has done. All I can do is receive it, right? John 1, 12, Tom. To all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so God makes this promise to Abraham. Abraham believes him. It's, he's counted as righteous. It's credited to him as righteousness. Again, Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So now 430 years later, the, the Lord gives the law to Moses, but the law was never meant to make you right with God. And it was never meant as a way of salvation ever. So 430 years earlier, you were made right with God by believing and trusting in the word of God and the savior that was to come, right? Because Jesus in Abraham's day is about 2000 years in the future, okay? Now you and I, right, are made right with God by trusting in the savior and the Messiah that has come, all right? So before Christ, you would look forward to the coming savior, here now, 2,000 years after the crucifixion, we look back to the cross and are saved. It's incredible, right? So you see the, the cross, all human history, right, centers on the cross of Jesus Christ. Even the timeline, even how we keep time 
is based on the cross of Jesus Christ, on the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's incredible, right? I mean, um, you know, all of time, right? Um, I mean, we, we have BC before the Christ came, and then we have after the Christ came, right? We're now in what, 2022 AD. The same cross saves us all, okay? The law was never given to us to save us. Now, we're going to talk about the importance of having law, okay? We're going to talk about, you know, as we go through it here with Paul, I mean, again, all society, right, all civilization would have just totally imploded and utterly destroyed itself if our Heavenly Father hadn't given us the written law and the moral law on our hearts, okay? Um, if we didn't have a conscience, if we didn't have a law to teach us what's right and what's wrong and what to follow and what not, that's why all government has laws. If we didn't have that, there'd be no society, right? So there is a purpose for law, but it's not to save us from our sin. We don't get to heaven by doing good, although we, we certainly should do good and we'll have our reward in heaven will be based on how we cooperate with Jesus and do good, but not our entrance to heaven, Okay. Verse 18, for if the inheritance depends on the law, okay, inheriting eternal life, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise, okay? So and it's the same today. God in his grace, right, became a human man lived a perfect life for us that we couldn't live. Grace is, is God's unmerited favor towards us. Grace is when we get a blessing from God that we do not in any way deserve, okay? And so we deserve death. We deserve hell, right? We deserve to be eternally separated from the triune God because we're all sinful human beings, okay? And so Paul says, for if the inheritance, again, inheriting eternal life through Christ depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. Meaning, if, if you're going to inherit eternal life by following the law, then no more would it be by just believing a promise as Abraham did. When God promised Abraham, you'll have a son. And through that son, the, the, the Savior, the Messiah will come. He believed that promise and believing and trusting God, Abraham was counted as righteous. It's the same as us today. We humble ourselves. We say, Lord, we're hopeless. We're helpless. We're desperate. We believe the good news of the gospel that our God, Jesus, God the Son, became a human man for us, lived a perfect life for us, died a torturous death for us, was raised from the dead by believing that, by receiving Jesus, by trusting with him. We too are made righteous. We're not trying to work our way to God. We're not trying to work off our sins, so to speak, right? Um, we're not trying to, to, to add to what Jesus has done. We know there's nothing we can do except believe the good news of the gospel and receive Jesus. For if the inheritance depends on the law, again, doing the good works, following the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Again, if we're trying to be made right with God by doing good and earning it ourselves, then it's not by grace anymore. It's not by God's unmerited favor. Then we get then we would go to heaven and be able to point to God and say, I deserve to be here. Right. And hopefully everyone understands the ridiculous of that, Leanne, right? How ridiculous it is to think you're going to go to heaven or I'm going to go to heaven and point to our Father and say, you know what? You needed to bring me here because I deserve it. The only person that deserved to go to heaven in all human history, just to be clear, all human beings that were ever born or ever would be born, there's only one, and that's Jesus, the God-man. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life in everything, in thought, word, and deed, he was perfect. He not only never did anything wrong, he did everything right. And because of that, he could have gone to heaven based on that perfect righteous life. Okay. 
every human being in the world, okay, beside that God man needs a savior because all of us have sinned, right? It says, you know, what is it in verse 22? Um, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ, again, the promise of eternal life, of inheriting eternal life, verse 22, being given through faith in Jesus Christ might come to those who believe. It doesn't come to those who try to, to earn it, but to those who humble themselves and say, Lord, I cannot save myself. I'm hopeless, helpless, and desperate, but I believe, Lord Jesus, you are the Son of God. And I believe you came and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe you're alive and risen. And I ask you to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin, Lord Jesus. I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone, Jesus, to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Bam. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. If you're not sure you're a Christian, again, you can back up the tape. Go back and use the words I just used there. Give your life to Jesus. You know, confessing to him that you know he's your only hope. You know, Romans 10, 13 says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, it's not you doing the work. It's not your words that call on him, that save you. Okay. But we do use our words, right, to communicate our heart to Jesus. Right. So just humble yourself. And receive Christ if you're not sure you're trusting genuinely in Jesus. If, if there's any part of you today that thinks you're going to heaven because any reason, right? These people in Galatia, the Jews thought they were going to heaven because they were, they were of the line of Abraham. And Paul is proving here that even Abraham, you know, went to heaven not based on his good life but based, based on trusting and relying in God's promise of a coming Savior, right? And you and I can only go to heaven by trusting and relying in Jesus, the Savior that has come, right? But again, if you believe you're going to heaven because you're part of a particular denomination, uh, you know, denominations, if you believe you're going to heaven because you're Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal or Mormon or Catholic or any of them, Right? then you're not trusting in Christ alone. If you believe you're going to heaven because you're a pretty good guy, you're not trusting in Christ alone. If you believe you're going to heaven because, yeah, you know, you're not that bad, you, you know, you ain't killed nobody, you're not trusting in Christ alone, okay? If you're not sure, again, humble yourself, back up to tape, use the words I used, and just call out to Jesus to receive him, you know? Just, 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 just letting him know, right? Proclaiming to him, your full trust and reliance and desperation for him to be your Lord and Savior. All right. Verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? Good question, right? So Paul now anticipates, okay, so why did God even give us the law then? What then was the purpose of the law? There's, there's, there, you know, there are two purposes of the law. Let me finish the verse. It was added because of transgressions, sins, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come, and seed is capitalized there. Again, the seed is Jesus, right? What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. And again, the seed is Jesus. The promise, right, that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. All nations, people from all nations for all time will, will get eternal life, will inherit eternal life. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred, again, until the time that Jesus came, right? The law was given so that, again, we would have an understanding of how people are supposed to live. And it was added to show us that we are sinful, that we just consistently don't, don't do what's right. And so I need to explain what law is here. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. Verse 20, a mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Okay, so 
The promises given to Abraham that eternal life and salvation will come through, through believing and trusting the word of God and trusting in the Savior that was to come. Again, that was 2,000 years before Christ. Now, 2,000 years after Christ, we believe the same word of God and we trust in the Savior, Messiah, Jesus, that has come. Okay? Um, but 430 years after this, the Lord gives the law to Moses. Now, it says it was put in verse 20. Uh, verse 19 says the law, the law was put into effect through angels, right? So it was tradition in that time. It doesn't say this in the scriptures, but that when God was speaking to Moses, that there were, there were angels in between, okay? So the law would give it to angels. The angels gave it to Moses, right? Because the Lord can't just speak to Moses. He'd, just, he'd be disintegrated, right? Um, and so it says the law was put into effect through angels by a mediator, a mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. No longer do we have a go-between, okay? You go directly to Jesus, okay? You receive Jesus personally as a Savior. There's no go-between. You don't go between you, your mom, and Jesus. You don't go between you, your pastor, and Jesus. You don't go between you and Mother Mary and Jesus. You don't go between you and St. Peter and Jesus. Nobody, okay? The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one, okay? There is no mediator between you and Jesus. Jesus is your savior, Jesus is your Messiah, and you're saved directly and personally through him, okay? So again, the purpose of giving this law is so that again, the law is a good thing. Imagine if civilization had no laws, okay? It'd just be anarchy. It'd be nothing. None of us would ever be, the whole thing would have, would have, would have destroyed itself thousands of years ago, right? So the Lord gave us this written law of, of, of Moses, the Ten Commandments, right? But then he also gave us a moral law. He gave us a conscience. So human beings are born, right? And we know right right from wrong and when we're raising our children we train them in in, in doing right from wrong because the lord has again has given us a conscience we we morally instinctively understand right from wrong okay and again that's given us to keep us you know in order right it's there it's a good thing now it's also given us to show us that we're sinful and it shows us that we're sinful we cannot obey it perfectly. We cannot do all the things in the law. We all do wrong. And that law now points us to our need of a savior. It points us to Jesus. Okay. Now, after we receive Jesus, we understand we're sinners. Okay. That law has done its job in, in pointing us to Christ. And so now we're not under the law. We're not in prison to the law anymore. We've received Christ. But again, it's still good for us to to, you know, to, to follow the rules and to do what's right, of course, but it has nothing to do with our salvation. Okay. So this is deep. I'm trying to get through a lot of material here. Um, so hopefully that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's so powerful, right? Wow. All right. 21 is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God. Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. So Paul says, is the law therefore opposed to the promise? Not by any means, okay? Uh, the, there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is we can't keep it. We don't do it well. All of us have sinful thoughts, say sinful wrong words and do wrong actions, right? Absolutely not, Paul says. So the law wasn't opposed. The law that came 430 years later, the Ten Commandments and the whole law given to Moses, 430 years after the promise given to Abraham, it's not opposed to the promise, Paul says, absolutely not. The law is not sin. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law points us to our sin and shows us how we're supposed to live and convicts us that we can't do it. Paul said, absolutely not. The law is not opposed to the promise of God. For if, for if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. 
So again, if there was anything in the Ten Commandments, if there were anything in all the Jewish traditions, if there were anything in, in, in men having to be circumcised that could give us spiritual life, then he says righteousness would certainly have come by the law, meaning then we would be made right with God by whatever law that was, that, that we could do it, right? So again, if a law had been given that could impart life, spiritual life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But look at 22. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Okay, so no. And the whole world, every human being in the world, Galatians 3.22, is a prisoner of sin. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, okay, the promise of eternal life that you couldn't get by doing good and obeying the law, by doing righteous things, by doing good things. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that, was, so that what was promised, eternal life, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, right? So you, you, you receive eternal life, the promise of eternal life, by your faith, your trust, your reliance in what Christ has done for you at the cross. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Again, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you trusting and relying on him? Have you received him as your only Lord and Savior? Or are you still trying to work your way to God, thinking that you could do enough good, and that's somehow going to offset your bad? Good doesn't take away bad. We need a Savior. Hmm. 23. Before this, before this faith came, okay, before this faith in Christ came, we were held prisoners by the law. So, in your life, before you've come to understand that salvation is by faith alone, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. Has faith been revealed to you today? Because if not, you're still a prisoner under the law. Okay? You're a prisoner because you're sinful. You've broken the law. You've done wrong. I've done wrong. We've all done wrong, really, daily. Right? Almost every day, we do some kind of wrong in our thoughts, in our words, or in our deeds. Right? And if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, the law still has you locked up. You're a sinful person. You're a prisoner to that sin, and that law is convicting you and has judged you as a sinner. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. Have you received Jesus Christ? Has faith in Christ been revealed to you? Have you called out to Christ and humble yourself and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? For when It's only when you do that. Only when Christ has been revealed to you and by faith you receive him, that no longer are you a prisoner of that law. And no longer will that law condemn you to hell. But all of your sin will then be credited to Christ. He'll take it at the cross in the perfect righteous life he lived. He fulfilled the law perfectly and that'll be credited to you as if you did it. It's incredible. Verse 24, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So do you see that? So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Again, when you look down at the Bible, when you look at your conscience, when you look at the moral law, the written law in the Bible, and all the things we're supposed to do, that should lead us to our need of a Savior. The law was put in charge to lead us to know and understand that we are sinful people. We cannot save ourselves. We're hopeless, helpless desperate. Our only hope is in Christ. So again, the law leads us to, to our knowledge that we're sinful and that we need a savior. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Again, the word justified means to be declared not guilty of sin and righteous before God. And the law convicts us that we're sinners and we can only be made right with God justified by faith in what Christ has done for us at the cross, in our place and our, on our behalf. We're declared not guilty of sin and righteous before God by our faith in Jesus Christ, by trusting in Christ, by clinging to Christ alone. Verse 25, now that faith has come, 
We are no longer under the supervision of the law. So again, no longer is the law given to us to convict us of sin. No longer are we prisoners of the law. No longer does the law do that because we've genuinely put our faith in Christ. We're trusting in Christ. We know we can't keep that law for salvation, right? Now, again, as far as how we live our lives, we still live our lives to work, to do what's right and to obey the law. Uh, you know, I used this example last time. If you're if the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, tells you, you know what, you're not under the, the speed limit laws of the state of Texas, and you're on the highway and that, that, that speed limit's 70 or 75, and you're blowing by it at 100, that may be true. You're not under the law. You're not going to get a ticket. But now you've put yourself and others in tremendous danger because the, those speed limit laws are given for our safety and the safety of everyone else around us, right? So although... In this case, you wouldn't have been under the speed limit law. It's still good for you to follow that law, even though you're not under it. It's the same with us. Okay. Now, again, we don't, it's not good for us to follow the dietary laws. You know, there may be some health benefits, but it has nothing to do with our salvation. Okay. A, a male being circumcised, right, has nothing to do with our salvation. Uh, circumcision is, you know, it happens to males normally on the day they're born now where the foreskin of the penis is cut away, okay? Um, and it's done for, uh, it's my understanding there are tremendous health benefits. It's, it's a more sanitary thing is what my, my limited medical understanding is. But it has nothing to do with our salvation. That was the sign given to Abraham in the Old Testament that he was one of God's people, that the men would all be circumcised in this way. It, it never had anything to do with salvation, okay? And certainly nor does it now. So again, now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. It's still, again, we still follow the moral law. We still look to do what's right because we want to please Christ. But it has nothing to do with our salvation. Verse 26, you are all, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All of us are sons and daughters of our heavenly father through faith in Christ Jesus. Look at the, how many words. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven words. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? Every human being in the world, all eight billion people in the world, Wade, alive today, can only be a son or daughter of our Heavenly Father through faith in Christ Jesus. Not faith in yourself, not faith in your own goodness. Not faith in Buddha, not faith in Muhammad, not faith in, uh, you know, Confucius, not faith in any of the Hindu gods, only faith in Christ Jesus. You are all sons or daughters of God the Father through faith in Christ, through trusting in what Christ has done and only Christ. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now he's not talking about a water baptism here. He's not talking about christening as I, I believe the Catholics do it. He's not talking about being sprinkled as a baby. Okay. When he says here, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. When you were saved, when you received Jesus Christ as Lord, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit, immersed by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ. You were spiritually baptized spiritually immersed into the body of Christ when you receive Christ and you were part now of the body of Christ. You're part of the bride of Christ. So what he's saying here is that for all of you who were baptized into Christ, um, it's 1 Corinthians 12, I believe. It says we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. So again, this isn't a water baptism. And again, as an act of obedience, it doesn't save us. All believers should be water baptized. I believe we ought to follow the example of Jesus and be immersed in the water as Jesus was. Again, this has nothing to do with our salvation. Water baptism is actually a picture of this spiritual baptism, and it comes after that we've been genuinely saved and immersed by the Spirit of God into the spiritual body of Christ. And then we do that as an outward symbolic sign when we do water baptism, right? So follow it. 
for all of you who were baptized into Christ, baptized means immersed. Again, when you were saved, when you received Christ, okay, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, immersed you into the body of Christ. So this is a spiritual baptism. It happened when you received Jesus as Savior. You were immersed into Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You became one with Christ. You've put on Christ. You're actually part of the body of Christ. You're married to Jesus spiritually. You're part of the bride of Christ. It's incredible. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Okay, so that happened when we were saved. Now, just as a, you know, as far as a lifestyle point, all of us ought to be working harder to really live out this lifestyle of living like Christ and putting on Christ. Again, it's there is an application for us to do it. But what Paul's talking about here is that, again, the Holy Spirit spiritually immersed you into Christ on the day you received him as your savior, okay? And you were clothed with Christ. Now, again, as a separate lifestyle deal, May, right? We ought to spend our time living for Christ more and more and more every day and putting on Christ and living like Christ, right? We ought to look like Christ. Many of us as, as Christians have been clothed with Christ, but to look at us outwardly, you'd think we were clothed only in the world, but you can't tell any difference between us and the world. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he just, he, he, wrote, he wrote off everybody there, okay? In Christ, there are no one greater, there is no one worse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Jews always believed they were the superior race, right? They believed they were the chosen by God, and so, you know, and, and again, a Greek or a Gentile is, is a non-Jew. Paul says in Christ, neither one is superior, okay? There is neither Jew nor Greek. We're all equal. Slave nor free. Obviously, in their time, a free man was considered of, you know, much more value than a slave. A free man was considered much more privileged, right? Paul said in Christ, whether you're slave or free, you're equally sinful and you equally receive Christ as your savior. Okay? There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. In Paul's day, you know, uh, you know, females, there was, they couldn't vote, Um you know, they had very little standing. Uh, when you were a male, you were considered to, uh, to be just based on the fact that you were a male, you were considered to be more valuable. Not to Jesus, but that's how society was. Paul's making it clear. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. So he just took the whole world right there and said, it doesn't matter what your social status is, doesn't matter what your gender is, doesn't matter what your nationality is, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, okay? So wherever we are, it doesn't matter your nationality, your ethnicity, your race, okay? We are all equally sinful, all 8 billion people in the world, and all of us need Christ, all of us need Christ. Now, there is no two standards, okay? There's no one standard for males and one standard for females. We all need Christ. We're all called to be disciples of Christ after we've received him as our Savior. Now, now hear me. There are different roles, okay? Men and women often fill different roles, right? A woman is a mother in the house. A father is the father in the house, okay? So there are different roles, right? Um, you know, women have children, men don't have children, okay? Um, so again, there are different roles, okay, for, for men and women in the body of Christ. But when it comes to salvation and comes to being a disciple of Christ, there are no two standards. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, you're an heir uh, you know, your inheritance, when you're an heir, you get an inheritance, right? You're an heir of the promise of eternal life. If you belong to Christ, do you belong to Christ today? Because if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. That again, in the spiritual sense, how Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, you're the spiritual seed of our great, 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 great grandfather Abraham, right? our spiritual great-grandfather Abraham. 
you belong to Christ and you're Abraham's seed, right? If you've trusted in Christ the way Abraham trusted in the coming Christ. You, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. Because the promise was that all nations will be blessed through you, Abraham, through your faith and trust in the word of God. And if you're one of those today, you're part of those all nations, wherever you are in the world. You belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And if you don't belong to Christ, you're not Abraham's seed and you're not an heir of the promise and you cannot go to heaven and only eternal hell awaits. So I'll say again, I'm begging you, give your life to Jesus Christ today. Humble yourself. All of us are sinful. I'm telling you, the, worst, the best five minutes I ever lived in my life would send me to hell. Just humble yourself. Proclaim to Jesus your hopelessness, your helplessness, and your desperation, and give your life to him today. John 1.12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Father, we thank you that we are your children. We thank you that there's no two standards, Father. We thank you that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Lord, we are all equally sinful and all of us, regardless of any status, any social status, any gender, any position, any ethnicity, any nationality, any race, we all need Christ, Lord, and we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Father, we thank you that we're all sons and daughters, that you're our Father through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you to draw all men and women unto you today, Lord. I ask for your mercy. I pray revival in the world. I pray, Lord, that that people would come to know their need of Jesus and that they would be saved. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that we have this scripture, Lord. I thank you that this scripture teaches us, even as verse 22 said, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. And I thank you that the scripture declares so that what was promised, eternal life being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe Father, open our hearts today that we might believe your word. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you. Lord Jesus, we just worship you, we thank you, and we praise you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. We ask that you would give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus.